I guess that uh, if you got to talk about money, you might want to make it funny before you do, so that everybody gets kicked. Now, here's what I'll say, is if you did not see yourself in there somewhere, at some point, you're just lying to yourself, okay? Just wanted you to know that. All right, I hope that you got a smile out of that, but I hope that it gives you an idea, Ron, that we need more hymns, okay? <laughs> just saying. All right, uh, if you got your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. I want to share with you as we are continuing to talk about our spiritual discipline of stewardship in our life, I want to talk to you about some of life's lessons through giving. In Philippians chapter 4, I want to read verses 10 through 20, and the Apostle Paul is writing this letter back to the church of Philippi as he is sharing with them after they have given a gift to him so that he might uh, receive the ability to be able to continue the work of the ministry. So if you got your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and honor the Lord by standing uh, one more time. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And uh, here's what the, uh, the, the letter that Paul wrote uh, shares with us. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has reflourished again wherein were you also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therefore to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. And everywhere in all things I am instructed uh, both in the full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding you are well done that you communicate with my affliction. Now that the ye Philippians uh, know that also that the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving, receiving, but ye alone. For then, even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. But I have all and abound all, and am, having received Ephroditus, uh, the things which thou hast sent from, him, from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Jesus Christ. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute thee, and chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. All right, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity today to be able to lift up our voice before you to give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask that, Father, now as we talk about a subject that mm, kind of makes most folks feel uncomfortable, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would definitely make us uncomfortable if we need to be. Lord, I pray that you'd move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross, that it not be my words, but it would be the word of the God through the work of the Holy Spirit that would speak to our hearts, O oh Lord, and move us from where we are to where we need to be in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated this morning. Now, I just wanted you to know that I believe that I would be doing a disservice to you and to the subject of stewardship if I don't speak specifically about the subject of money. 
So that's what I want to do this morning. I believe that there are two areas that we have talked about most importantly, that two areas, uh, uh, main areas that we have most of us struggle with when it comes to the area of stewardship. One is time, the other is our money. How many times have we made one of these statements? Where is all the time gone? Hmm, how many times have we said that? Where did the day go? What have I done with my day? How about this one? Where did my money go? Where did all my money go? I had money in my pocket when I left this morning. Where in the world did it go? We all have a problem with management of our time oftentimes, and we all have a problem with management of our money. It seems to kind of go through our hand like sand or water. And so we, we need to understand that God has spoken a lot about time management and money management. But today, what I want us to focus on is the area of stewardship of our treasures. Now, you may be here this morning and you may feel that you don't have enough money to, to support your church or any other causes. But when it comes to giving, your attitude about what it means to give is more important than how much money you have in the bank. Winston Churchill made a wise and, 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 and wonderful observation. He said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Establishing a personal ministry of giving shouldn't be a chore or an obligation for any of us. It should be done with a genuine desire to help the church and the community and individuals that we see in need. If you're not quite there yet, let me just suggest that you ask the Lord to begin to open your heart and to share with others what God has shared with you. And maybe your prayer needs to be focused. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about praying Scripture? Maybe the prayer, Scripture prayer that we need to pray is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. And maybe we ought to pray this verse in our lives. And it says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Perhaps maybe we need to pray, Lord, help me to become that cheerful giver. Help me not to look at what I've given, but look at the life in which you can change through my gift. Generous giving begins after we have made a commitment to tithing. Now let me just say that again so that you all get it. Giving begins after we've made our commitment to tithe. So many of us think that giving is tithing. Tithing and giving are two separate entities. Even though we can't tithe without giving, we can't give unless we first tithe. All right? So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Tithing simply is giving back to God 10% of the income in which He has blessed us with to steward for Him. The tithe is not supposed to be an afterthought given out of what's left over. It should be taken out of the first fruits, the Bible says, of that which we have received from the Lord. If you're having trouble finding enough money to tithe, maybe you're looking at your budget and saying, boy, there's no money in here to tithe. Might I just suggest that maybe we need to re-look at our budget? And maybe we need to take out some things that don't need to be there so that we can free up some money so that we can begin to give to the Lord that which is rightfully His. And then I can promise you Malachi 3.10 reminds us 
that when we are faithful to give unto the Lord, he is faithful to take care of the last of what we need. It is a promise in which we can hold on to. So, once you've established your personal ministry of giving, it is only natural that we will begin to grow into a lifestyle of stewardship. Seek to make your giving an expression of love and gratitude to God who has given you everything that you have. Again, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3 reminds us that we must give in a particular way. Because here's what he says, if I donate all of my goods to the poor, if I give everything away, but I don't have love, I don't do it in love, I gain absolutely nothing. I've accomplished nothing. Now, the Philippian church, these Christians here, had learned the secret of joyful giving. They, they understood liberal financial giving. The church in Philippi had taken up an offering to give to Paul in prison because of his faith. Paul wrote back this letter to express his appreciation for their faithful giving. And so he, he, he shares some things with them. Paul reminds them in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful that you lacked opportunity. Now if we look through the book of Philippians, we'll find that the word joy or its derivative, the idea of joy, is actually mentioned almost 20 times in this letter. The Apostle Paul reminds us that the joy of the Lord is, is there. We can have the joy of the Lord if we're doing what we need to be doing in the right spirit. Have you discovered the joy of giving, my friends? I hope that you have. I hope that you understand that there is a great joy in being able to say, Lord, you gave it to me and I can't wait to give it away. Perhaps too many of us view giving as an occasion of grief or dread rather than an occasion of joy. So that's why I want to consider life's lessons on giving. And see, we're going to find some things here in Paul's letter that we need to be reminded of so that we might figure out how that we can receive that joy of the Lord to give back unto God that which He has graciously given unto us. First of all, in verse 10, we find that giving revives our concern. When we give unto the Lord, it revives a concern for the things of the Lord. Now, the phrase flourished here again in verse 10 reminds us, it pictures something that was dead but now coming to life. I don't know about you, but uh, these nice warm days, this really just kind of reminded me of this, these nice warm days. I was visiting somebody the other day, and I walked up their, their walk, and I looked into their flower bed, and there were flowers popping up through the ground. They weren't there a month ago when I was there. There was nothing but deadness, but now there is life. And, and that's what that word flourish again. And just shortly, we're going to see, and if you drive off the mountain, you'll already see that the leaves and the buds are already beginning to show up. And that means that that which was seemingly dead is now alive again. I love spring. I love it when it appears in our own hearts, in our own lives. Revival for me is like spring. I think it's such a great opportunity for that which was barren to receive new life again. And so that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in verse 10, that that which was barren now has regained life. 
The word sometimes is translated into revived. That's where we get our idea of revival. The word picture of a tree or a plant that is barren in the winter that comes alive in the spring and the blossoms and the new shoots and the flowers just reminds us that, that we were once barren, but there is hope of life through Jesus Christ. The Philippian church had been barren in expressing their concern for Paul. It says that Paul reminds us that way back when you gave an offering when I first left on my mission journey, but it's been a long time. It's been a, a period of time since you've given. And oh, how great it is to see that you have reflourished, that you have regained that desire in your heart to give unto the things of the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be reminded that there is a, a, a new concern that needs to spring up in our hearts. Giving takes our focus off of ourselves and puts it onto someone or something else. Giving becomes a tangible way to express concern and love for other people. It's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I, I'm concerned about the lostness of our nation. I'm concerned about the lostness of our world, so I'm going to give to Annie Armstrong so that missionaries can go where I cannot go. I'm going to give to Lottie Moon when it comes time so that I can give to missionaries who can go to places that I can't. I am concerned again for the lostness of, of Ash County, so I'm going to give to my local church so that, that the work of evangelism can continue out of the church. Let me give you an illustration. A rich man sought for help from a wise counselor. The counselor led the man to a window in his office and he overlooked the street below. The counselor simply asked the man, tell me what you see. The man replied, I see people. The counselor then led the man to a, a mirror and said, tell me what you see now. The man said, I see myself. The counselor then began to explain that the mirror was simply a piece of glass, just like the window, but unlike the window, it was covered on the backside with silver. No sooner than the little silver is added, he explained, you cease to see others, and now you see only yourself. As we focus on the needs of others and not ourselves, we focus on the fact that we need to meet the needs of those around us. Someone gave somewhere along the line so the gospel message could be given to you. I know it was for me. And so I give so that maybe it's not me going out with the gospel, but maybe I'm giving it so another can go out with the gospel to reach someone that was like me who needed the gospel. Giving revives our concern for other people for lost souls. The second thing that we find in verse 11 is that giving teaches us contentment. The Apostle Paul was all about uh, contentment. Now here's a man who, who had abundance, but yet was willing to, to let it all go for the sake of the gospel. Paul did not want his, this church to think that his joy rested on whether or not that he had money in his pocket. Paul had schooled himself to be satisfied with whatever he had, wherever he was. He had the joy in his life, not because of wealth, but because of the Lord. 
Not because his purse was full, but because he had learned contentment. The Greek Stoics used the word content to describe self-sufficiency. Paul believed this sufficiency was not in self, but it was in Christ. And here's what he said in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let not your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We're reminded that, that our hope, our, our joy, our contentment is not in what we have in this world. It's all going to go away. But Jesus remains forever. Our relationship with Him is eternal. Paul believed that rather we were, he was naked or clothed, hungry or filled, rich or poor, he had the Lord in his life. If you have the Lord in your life, you have everything you need. Our consumer-oriented society, however, pressures us to place too much value on material things to the point that our joy is based on how much we have. I remember working with a fellow many, many years ago, and he worked every hour of overtime that he could, and I used to ask him, Judd, why do you do that? I mean, you're never home. And his philosophy of life was this. He who has the most toys at the end wins. And I told him over and over again, it's not what makes us win. The only thing that can make us win is having Jesus. All this other stuff somebody else is going to enjoy. But Jesus is something we can enjoy. You see, we need to re remember, Paul reminds us, that we need to not be pressured by the society in which we live, but we must be influenced by the Bible in which we read. This approach to life results in chronic dissatisfaction because every time we buy the latest and greatest cell phone, by the time we get home, they've released a new model. By the time we get the biggest and best TV that's out there, by the time we get home with it, and we plug it in and we hook it up, the first advertisement we're going to see is a newer model television. It doesn't matter. I can name off 100,000 different things. And society continues to improve on things that we buy so that we never have the latest and greatest. But let me just remind you, the world has never been able to top God. Okay? He, there is no later or greater model. He is God. He is the God of the universe. So we need to be reminded that we need to uh, be content in what the Lord has given us. The world says, get this, but it's never enough. Now let me give you another illustration. An elderly man who had learned to live off of little was watching his neighbor move in next door. After all kinds of modern appliances, electronic gadgets, plush furniture, and costly wall hangings were carried into the man's house, the older man went over to the fence and called over the fence and said, If you find, by the way, that you're lacking anything, neighbor, all you got to do is call on me and I'll let you know how to live without it. Boy, wouldn't that be good for a lot of us? Not how to get it, but how to live without it. 
So how do you define contentment? What, what makes you content in your life? What are the things that, that brings contentment to your heart? Contentment is not trimming back your desires. Contentment means living with a sense of God's adequacy. A conviction that God is adequate for all of what we need and all of what we face. Therefore, we can give joyfully knowing that God promises that he will supply all of our needs through his riches and his glory. So the question is, can, can Christians truly live a content life in the world in which we're living in? In a society that's constantly, constantly reminding us that we don't have enough, that we need more? The answer is undoubtedly yes. Yes, we can if we change our heart's attitude from the things of this world to the things of God. And the Apostle Paul reminds us here of how that we can do that. And when he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. You see, when we put our, uh, our whole dependence upon Christ, the things of the world grow strangely dim. And, 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 and we can do whatever we need to do as long as He is holding our hands, walking with us side by side. And He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. From our union with Jesus comes the strength to learn how to be content. The third thing that we find is in verse 14, and it's giving makes us partners in the ministry. Let me just remind you that every time that you put money into the plate, you are a partner and the ministry of the gospel that takes place here at Midway and through Midway. And not only here at Midway and through Midway, but you are also a part of the gospel that takes part in the state convention, our association, our state convention, and then our national convention. And I'll tell you how in just a little bit. Paul said this about this gift of money that was sent to him from the church at Philippi. He says, notwithstanding that you have well done, that you did communicate with my affliction. Now, the word communicate here in the King James, and I know there's other translations that you're reading, but it simply is another word in which we translate the word fellowship. Koinonia, partnership. So when we are giving... And sharing, we are communicating, we're partnering with and fellowship with the church to do the work of the gospel. The word communicate reminds us that there is a partnership between the work of the giver and the work of the church. And so in that partnership together, we are, we are united together. Each time we give to the Lord's work, we partner with other Christians to help advance the kingdom. That's exciting, through, uh, or at least it should be exciting to our hearts, and it should put great joy in our hearts to know that, that my little gift is making a difference in the kingdom work. Now, let me just talk about our Southern Baptists just for a minute. Our Southern Baptists recognized a long time ago the, the struggle of individuals trying to do the work of ministry all by themselves. 
So they just said, what we're going to do as a group of churches, we're going we're to come together and work together and do ministry together. And the way that we do that is by giving together. And so a portion of everything that you give goes to what is called the cooperative program. It's a wonderful partnership with, with, with our state convention and our national convention where we help them do work that we cannot do ourselves. We're supporting ministries through them that we don't really know personally well enough to be able to know how to support, but they do. And so when we think about that, it's an ingenious way for you and I to support far more ministries than what we can do individually. Now let me give you an illustration. We've probably all heard of the phrase, just make sure you get the biggest bang for your buck. I mean, yeah, we all heard that one? Yeah, we all know that. I've heard that one many, many times over the years. Make sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. But what does that phrase really mean to us when we think about our Christian stewardship? Well, when churches give to, through the cooperative program, through Annie Armstrong Easter offering, through Lottie Moon Christmas offering, what we are simply doing is saying that we're getting the biggest bang for our mission bucks. We're taking our little gift and we're adding it to other little gifts and then those other little gifts make great gifts and a great work for the kingdom's sake. Little is much when God is in it. Our little bit and our prayers that go along with it uh, uh, work together with others to do great work for the kingdom's sake. You and I are ministry partners every time we give to the Lord's work. And the fourth thing that we find is that giving pays spiritual dividends. Now, you remember hearing that in the, the funny little thing, you know. But what does that really mean to us? In verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul reminds us of what that means to us. Paul makes clear that he was not looking for a monetary gift for his own benefit. The phrase credited to your account there, um, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. Now what the Apostle Paul is saying, that, that listen, I'm giving you an opportunity to be a partner in the gospel. I'm giving you an opportunity to, to invest in the kingdom's work. And in that investment, there are great rewards that come. Jesus himself said, lay up your treasures in heaven for the things of God, for they will not be stolen, they will not rot away, they will not go away, but God will keep track of them. And one day, he will make an account of them. And in that, we will receive reward. Unlike the guy in the video, it won't be in dollars and cents, my friends. It will be given in spiritual responsibility in the kingdom of God. If we're faithful in the little things of this world, if we partner in, if we are looking for something better when we get to heaven, then we must be faithful in what we have here to use for the furtherance of the kingdom of the gospel. And so he says, I'm giving you opportunity to give so that it will be accredited to your account 
Simply saying that everything that you give, the Lord looks at as an investment in the kingdom matters and God takes to heart your investment. Kingdom work pays spiritual dividends. Giving from the right motive and for the right reason leads to an act of worship. And by the way, that's what we're going to talk about next in our next spiritual discipline is the area of worship. And listen, we need to recognize that God has set it up so that when we give, we are actually acting in a spirit of worship. Time for us to honor God for what he has given to us. And listen to what Paul said in verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received Ephroditus, the things which were set for me, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What this simply says is that this was taken before the Lord, before the altar of God, and it was a a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. Your gifts. When you bring them to this altar, you put them back there in that plate. When you give online, well, however it is that you're giving, you give in an act of worship and say, God, here I am to bless the Lord with that which he has blessed me with. Now, this shows our act of giving becomes an act of worship and devotion to God, but Sacrifices to God fills our heart with great joy. It should. So I did a bunch of research this week and looking at some new numbers and statistics, I wanted to kind of read several things that I found very interesting and some challenging things that uh, I I took to heart. A study of giving patterns in churches of five major denominations revealed that 37% of regular church attendees and evangelicals don't give at all to the church. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of the normal congregation. 77% of those who tithe give 11% to 20% or more of their income far more than the baseline of the 10% in which we read in Scripture. For Christian families making less than $20,000 a year, 8% of them give at least 10% in tithing. Now you say, well, that's not a big deal. That's okay. But when you hear this next one, it makes that first one, that last one, so much more meaningful. For families making $75,000 or more, the church tithing figure drops to just 1% of those. It kind of reminds me of the story of the man who went to his pastor and said, Pastor, you remember 10 years ago when I came to you and asked you to pray that I would find a job? Yes, I remember. Well, Pastor, um, you said if, I, if God gave me a job, I, I told you that I would be faithful to tithe, and at that time I was making just $1,000 a week, and so I tithe. But Pastor, after 10 years, I am now making $100,000 a week, and I just can't imagine giving the church that much money every week. I am in a dilemma. Pastor, what can I do? The pastor said, certainly, let's go right back to where we prayed before, and I'll pray that God gives you that $1,000 a week job back. 
Okay? You know, we think that oftentimes when we're making more, that we ought to cut back God's amount. Because it's just a large amount. Listen, my friends, it's not about the amount. It's about the purpose of the heart. And when our heart is right, the amount won't matter. The average giving by adults who attend the U.S. Protestant churches, that's all of the churches, uh, the different denominations, is about $17 a week. Now here, let's just talk about Southern Baptist for just a minute. Southern Baptist giving, on an average, is only or less than about 3% of our income on an average. Now, what do these figures show us? I think the figures show us simply this. They show us how many of us are missing opportunities of the blessings that result from giving our tithe and then being able to give a gift of giving. So if 37% of the the church doesn't give anything, that means there's 37% that are missing a great opportunity of blessing. It's just an opportunity. Do you want to invest? The investment is for sure. It pays great spiritual dividends. The last thing I want you to know is found in verse 19. Giving grows our faith in God. Perhaps some of the members of the church at Philippi had given to Paul's ministries, but yet in giving they worried that in giving they would not have enough money left to meet the needs to supply their family. Paul then gives them a great promise that God gives to all of us as well. Not only Malachi 3.10, but look, if you would, to what he says here in verse 19. Paul encourages us to simply take the step of faith and to give, trusting God that he will meet all of our needs. Because he says, but my God, my God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God meets our needs personally. My God meets my needs every single week. He meets our needs liberally. He doesn't just meet some of my needs. God meets all of my needs. At the end of the week, I'm not lacking anything. And whatever it is that I'm lacking, God is telling me I don't need it. It was a want, not a need. And then by the time the week's over, I look back and I see that I had less needs but more supply for my needs. And then thirdly, he meets our needs graciously. According to his gracious riches in Christ Jesus. Graciously, the Lord gives to each and every one of us over and above that which we deserve. That's what it means to give. That's what it means to be a, a, a one who is walking in faith giving, faith tithing. And I know that many Christians sitting here today perhaps sit at the kitchen table or wherever it is that you contemplate paying your bills. And maybe you're asking the same question, if I start giving even a little bit, will I have enough at the end of the week to meet my needs? You know, I got to put braces on the kids. I got to pay for college tuition. I got to buy new car tires for the car. 
That roof needs replacing. There are things that I need and the family needs, but if I give, will I be able to meet those needs? I want you to know that God didn't just come up with this as an afterthought. Stewardship has been a thought of God's heart right from the very beginning, and it is throughout all of Scripture. It has been given as a test of our faith for us. So I want you to watch this next video right here. It just spoke to me as I watched it uh, several times. So let's just watch this video together. Okay, maybe we need to go over this one more time. Do we have to? Well, sweetie, I don't know if you're getting a good grasp of the ratios here. Fine. Okay, all right, let's step by step. Before we spend any money, what's the first thing that we do? Give to God. Good, and why do we do that? Because he first loved and gave to us. Good, 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 good. Okay, great. Now the second jar here is for so many different things. Hold on. What? God lives in heaven, right? Yeah, he lives in heaven. And heaven has streets paved with gold, right? Streets paved with gold, sure, yes. So why does he need my money if I don't even have a job? <laughs> okay, all right, so good question. So basically when we give to God, we're, we're giving to the church. So the church gives the money to God? No, the church keeps the money. Oh, does God know about this? <laughs> yes, he uh, basically built the system, yeah. Okay, good. Okay. See, sweetie, as you grow up, there is nothing better than giving back to God. In the Bible, it's the only place God says, test me on this. When it comes to your money, he says, test me. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you. And your mom and I, we do just that. Even when things are tough, we always give the first part of our money back to God. And then the church takes that money and does all kinds of things to make God famous, uh, like camps and mission trips and even VBS that you love so much, and even helps out people that are in need. You can't outgive God. And when God says test him and you do it, he will come through every single time. Okay, Dad, I get it. I do have one question, though. Okay. Why do we need to test God if he already knows all the answers? That's, that's good. Let me just retrace my steps here just for a minute. Why do we give to God? Because he has been so gracious and wonderful. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This last illustration that I want to read to you is one that I've read many, many years ago, and it's always meant a lot to me. Joe Troll told of a primitive tribe located in South America jungle. 
where anthropologists learned that the most important role within the tribe was the keeper of the flame. You see, fire was a precious commodity to this tribe, and it was one of the members' job in the tribe to, to be entrusted with the responsibility of keeping the flame alive all the time. So during the night, the flame keeper added wood to keep the fire alive. His task was vital so that when others awoke the next morning, they would have the fire they needed to live life. It is that important that we understand the system in which God has established for the church. It is not the, the communities or the, uh, the world's responsibility to support the church. That's why we, we don't take governmental assistance. We stand along with God's principle, and he said the principle was that his people, he will bless them with jobs, he will bless them with, with blessings, and they are to return those blessings to the house of the Lord so that his work can be accomplished. It is that way in that you and I are the keeper of the fire. We are to hold the flame alive. We all find ourselves somewhere in that list of statistics that I read earlier. Maybe you're an attender that needs to become a giver. Maybe you're a giver that needs to become a tither. Or maybe you're a tither that just needs to simply step up. Wherever you are, wherever the Lord finds you this morning, it has been my prayer this week that God would take the words in which he has given to us and cause you to move one step further in the direction to be what God has called all of us to be, faithful stewards of everything that God has given us. So it is my prayer this morning that you will make a commitment to the Lord to make that next step forward. It's not my job to know where you are, I have no clue for none of you. I don't look at the numbers. I, well, I look at the numbers, but I don't look at who gives what or, or any of that. I don't see that side of it. I stay completely away from it. I know what Annie and I give, but I don't know what you give. I know what the church has to work with, and I can just make an assumption that we are not all giving what we should be giving. Because if that were the case, then the evidence would be that we would have absolutely no need of anything in our congregation. Not only would our budget be funded, but our Sunday school project would be funded. Because I know God has blessed His church just that way. So I am just simply asking you this morning to listen to the words of the Lord in the spirit of the Holy Spirit. And just to remind you that as you give financially to the Lord's work, you are helping to spread the gospel. You are helping to meet people's needs. Every week, people call our office and ask for help in 
Our committees look at that and they make a decision to help folks in times of need. We have ministries where we do care and flower ministries where we are constantly reaching out to people and just saying, Jesus loves you and here's how we want to show it. We have Sunday school and we have, uh, well, we hope to have vacation Bible school and all those things back this year. Simply so that we can all partner together to assist people in growing spiritually. When you give, you enable the light of the gospel to continue to shine through the work of the ministry of Midway Baptist Church. You allow the people that drive by here to see that God is alive, that He is the same, that He still loves them. And so it is that God says to us this morning, continue my work. For there are many that need to hear the truth of the gospel. And as you give, may such privileges delight your heart with joy. As God's heart is delighted in the joy that you show. Let me pray for you as we close this morning. Our invitation is simply this. God gave the greatest gift of all, and it's His Son. If you've never received His Son as Savior, no amount of money you give will will make up for that. Jesus did not say we could buy our way into heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible reminds us that His gift of salvation is free. He does not charge. But if you've not received or accepted that free gift, my friends, I I, I want you to know that my greatest heart's desire is that you would be a child of God. And if we can help in any way, if we need to, to reach out to you, please contact the information that's on the screen for those of you that are online. For those of you that are here, Josh and I are here, and there are Tom's here, and there's other deacons that can share with you as well. We don't want you to leave this place today unsure of where you are spiritually. So my greatest prayer for you is that you know the greatest gift, the Savior. Then my second prayer for you is that you will, once you know that great gift, you will know that God has given you many other gifts in which you can share and you can be a part of the ministry and the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may He remind you that He will bless you through your giving and faithfulness to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, as we bow before you today, and Lord, as uh, I've done the best that I knew how to share your word with sincerity and honesty in a way that, Father, that would remind us that we must be the stewards of what you've given us. Lord, the first thing that we must be a steward of is the gift that you have given to us through your Son. We must receive that gift open-heartedly. 
We must acknowledge him as the only one that can forgive us our sins and, and cleanse us from all the unrighteousness that we have done in our lives. Who is the only one that can be the Savior that we need who justifies us before the Father. And then, Lord, once we've received that great and wonderful gift, may we be good stewards to share the resources so that others can receive the knowledge of that great gift. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that you would stir your people to be faithful givers, stewards of the tithe and beyond so that the work of the kingdom of God would be accomplished and great things would be done for your glory. And Lord, we'll be sure to give you the honor and the glory and the praise at every step. Now take our offerings and, and take our, our gifts, take our tithes, and use them for the furtherance of your kingdom, we pray. Move us from where we are to where we need to be in Jesus' name, amen. Give me just a moment to get to the back of the room, and I'm going to ask Josh, if he would, to dismiss the group. And we'll do it in groups again because...